We've been able to uh, secure a copy of an ancient companion text to what we just heard from Philippians chapter 1 that goes an amazing way to help understand it and explain it. And uh, I want you to hear from it today. That companion text is titled, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Very rare. Poor attempt at a movie was made. This is the original. And listen to the insights that you will hear. Are you ready? Oh, no, I'm going to read it to you. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth. Now there's gum in my hair. When I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box, but in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Ellie got seats by the window, too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be carsick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said, I sang too loud. At counting time, she said, I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Oh, I could tell. Because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said Philip Parker was his best friend. And that Albert Moyo was his next best friend. And that I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on attack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls off the cone part and lands in Australia. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag, and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds, and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on the top. Guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And that's what it was. Because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist. And Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I'm going to Australia. When we picked up my dad at his office, he said I couldn't play with his copying machine. But I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books on his desk. And I was careful as could be, except for my elbow. He also said, don't fool around with his phone. But I think I called Australia. My dad said, please don't pick him up anymore. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner, and I hate limas. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed... Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep. And the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out. And I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It's been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says, some days are like that. Even in Australia. 
Let's close in prayer. <laughs> when things, we say they turn south, or they go bad, or they go sideways on us, when things like that happen, it challenges us, doesn't it? It threatens us, it unsettles us. And we have a natural default response when we encounter that which is a setback or, or discomfort or pain or suffering for that matter. And, and our natural reaction, we don't have to plan it, we don't have to think about it. We, our natural reaction is we leave the pain, we leave it. Or solve it, fix it. Or fret on it, right? That's just natural. No one has to coach you to do that. And that God comes along in our lives. And I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm here because I believe that he is real. I believe he made us for relationship with him. I believe that life is best with following him under his son. I really believe he came to give us life and life to the fullest. And so when he comes into my life and I want to pay attention, I want to say, okay, so what am I supposed to do about this stuff? Because you know what? Most of life is lived there, isn't it? Oh, when you're a kid, you think, Oh, you know, setbacks happen now and then, and then the rest of life is fun. And then the older you get, the more you realize, no, no, it's setback after setback and disappointment after disappointment, and every now and then something nice happens, and then it's gone. And what am I supposed to do with that? I mean, really. What's my perspective supposed to be on that? Because I want to relieve it, I want to solve it, I want to fret in it. And then the Apostle Paul comes along, and he writes for God, and he, and he sends this letter to the Philippians. And it's a, a gathering of, of followers of Jesus trying to make it happen. And he reflects this attitude that he has while he's sitting, rotting in prison. As you saw, he writes and he keeps talking about how he has joy. How he has this contentment. In fact, he's going to say later on, we're going to see in the series, he's going to say, I found the secret to this. I go, really? Tell me. Because I sure don't have it. And when he writes it, he reflects this, this mentality and he, and he uses th this phrase, right? He says in verse, now we're in, verse, we're in verse 12 of chapter 1, starting today. If you have a Bible, I invite you to look there, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, access to one. If you don't have one, we got Bibles at the welcome counter. They're free for you. I want you to have one. And he says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, he uses the phrase, what has happened to me. Now just stop there for a minute. He uses that phrase, what has happened to me? When, when we use that phrase, when we tell people, okay, tell, let me tell you what's happened to me, what usually follows? Usually what fo follows, we talk about how we've been a victim, right? We talk about how, uh, how we, how, what made us angry, what disappointed us, what our complaint is, what our accusation is. And we say, what, we say at that, that because we're trying to kind of get a reaction from people, we tell people what it is, to justify the fact that I'm really angry and I have a right to be angry. I'm justified in my anger. That's why we explain it. We, we do it sometimes to get a reaction, to get some pity for us because look at how bad things have gotten for me. Or we do it because we want to excuse the fact that we need to punish. Somebody needs punished. So somebody needs to pay for what's happened to me. Or, or just to excuse our inactivity or our attitude. And Paul, what Paul's going to do when he follows that phrase, he's going to reflect a completely transformed mindset and perspective. I want to know how he got it. And I believe 
that there's a key to that, and it was found in a little verse that we looked at last week that's right at the beginning of this letter that I think is powerful and full of a little triplet of truth that I'm going to suggest to you today that if you and I can, if we really believe this triplet of truth, if we really saturate our hearts and minds with it, it has, it, it becomes the, the pivot point for everything else that follows, okay? And that triplet of truth is found in Philippians 1, verse 6. If you look at it, this is what he says, I am confident of this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let me, let me suggest to you some phrases that would summarize that triplet of truth, and this is how we would put it. First of all, God is good. Doesn't matter what happens in my life, doesn't matter what, what the circumstances or how it feels, there is something that's absolutely true, that God is absolutely good in what he does. The second truth, God is in control. Everything that's happening in my world, everything I see is under his authority. He, 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 he understands even the bad things, even the sinful things that are going on, they are still under the jurisdiction of a God who's absolutely in control of it. And the third thing is God will prevail. He is going to take this someplace. It is going to accomplish his purposes ultimately. Those are three. Now you say, well, yeah, this no, aren't those basics? Oh, yeah, but here's the question I'm going to keep asking you today. Do you believe that? I mean, do you believe it? I, I'll ask myself, do I believe that? We can sit here and go, yeah, oh, yeah, I believe it. Because that's the right answer, right? We're all supposed to say, yes, I believe it. And then you're going to get tested. But if you look in Philippians 1, 6, you'll see those truths reflected. Okay, I, I'm confident, he's gotten confident of this. The one who began a good work, there's a good God doing stuff. In you, we will bring it, carry it on to completion, all right? So he will carry it on to completion. He is in control of this thing. He is, he is dictating where it's going to go until the day of Christ Jesus, and that means that God is going to prevail. The day of Christ Jesus, when he reigns and rules, establishes his kingdom forever, all death and pain and hell are, are removed from us. Those, that little triplet of truth, is something I would encourage you just to kind of commit a little bit to memory so that you can ask yourself that question, do you really believe it? Because that's what he's going to reflect. And so this is going to undergird everything else that's going to follow that Paul has to say about his current condition. And I believe it's going to reflect, come out in how he responds to that. So adversity and pain and discomfort and disappointment get responded to based on this triplet of truth. So let's take a look again at verse cha uh, chapter uh, ver 1, verse 12. So now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, okay, and here's what's happened to him. He's been arrested for sharing his faith. He's been in prison. He's been flogged multiple times. All kinds of adverse things have happened. He is, he's under house arrest in Rome right now. He's writing one of the four prison epistles to followers in churches that he's planted. This is one of them. They all know what's happened to him. They've already sent Epaphroditus. You're going to see him show up again in chapter 4. They, they've gotten a report about how he, he's miserable. That he can't function. He can't do what he wants to do. He's chained up. And he goes, okay, you know what's happened to me. I want you to know what's happened to me has served to do some stuff. And I'm going to give you a handful of things, the perspectives that he gives based on this. Here's the first one. 
that our setbacks, this is the, we're going to draw application, our setbacks and our dis- discomforts, they can accomplish something. They can advance the message of the gospel of Jesus. Look what he says. They have served to advance the gospel. What's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. His perspective is, okay, I'm in this situation. I don't like the situation. I didn't want the situation. didn't ask for the situation. But God is good. God is in control. God is going to prevail. And you know what's happened? God has, is accomplishing something. My setbacks have actually served to advance the gospel. Here's what's happened. It has created a new environment, new contact points, new opportunities that wouldn't have arisen otherwise. The whole Roman guard never would have had a chance to have exposure to the amazing message that the Son of God came to earth, absorbed mankind's sin, rose from the dead, and is given it out for free. All tribes and nations get it. Eternal life is given as a gift. They never would have heard that. He said, this is because I'm here. Okay, here, here's another way to say it. I'm stuck with these people. I got smelly Roman guards chained to me. But his perspective is, yeah, but they're stuck with me. Hey, I got a captive audience here. They can't stop me. As long as I'm in chains here, they're going to hear firsthand why I'm in chains. And what the message is, and the message is that Jesus Christ loves them. Here's what's amazing. If you just flip, or go forward, uh, just look ahead to Philippians 4, right at the end of of this letter in in 422, he's giving greetings, and he says there, all the saints, and and all the followers of Jesus around him, they all send their greetings. That's a common thing that said. They all send their saints. And then look what he says. Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. You know what that means? Members, whether, whether family members or servants, people in the, the king's house have come to faith. How did that happen? It happened because Paul had a perspective. The bad thing has happened to me, but you know what? It served to advance the message. I want you to, now, okay, let's bring this to where we live. You have a current situation right now that you don't want to be in. Every one of us in the room have it. There's a place you have to go this week that you don't want to go. There are people... Or, or maybe you got to go work in a cubicle beside the person who you least want to work beside. Or you're on a work team and you're going, oh. Or you got to go visit extended family members soon and you go, oh. Not, and some of you love your family, okay? They're all good, right? But it just it, theoretically, that might be true for some. You've got a place where you need, or you have to go to the unemployment office because you lost your job. Or you got to go to the doctor. Or to the hospital. You gotta be around people, or you or you gotta go to to your class and you gotta sit around people who you can't stand, or your locker is right next to people who you just don't want to be around. In every one of those current situations, God is good. God is in control. God will prevail. Does that influence your thinking when you stand in that setting, when you go to that place? Is it possible? Is it possible? That maybe God who is in control and who does good things has steered you into that place. And as a result of that, the message that's changing your life might have a chance to get exposed to somebody who might never hear it otherwise. I went to visit somebody who's from this body who was in the hospital a while back. 
And I had an interesting conversation with a nurse in the hallway outside. And, and she was just writing on a chart, and I just stopped and said hello. And I said, how, how are they doing as a patient? And the nurse turns and said, amazing. She turns and she, talk, and she chatted with me for 15 seconds, and she has a tear form in her eye, and I'm watching this woman start to weep in front of me, and she said, I am here to serve that person. And every time I turn around, they've been talking about what Jesus has done in their life. And she said, I told him, I need Jesus to do something in my life. I got chills just saying it again. I could not believe I heard this. God is good. God is in control. God will prevail if God asked you. He doesn't usually do this in advance, but if he said to you, would you be willing, would you be willing to be in a discomfortable situation? Because by being there, I'm going to have an opportunity to expand my message to somebody who I love, who you may not even like, but you're going to be near them. If he asked you, would that be okay with you if I put that in that position? What would your answer be? I want to suggest to you from my life, as I've thought about this, I'm not sure how honestly how I would answer that because sometimes my comfort is more important to me than either even other people hearing the message but if I really choose to believe that God is good in everything he does and God is in control of my life and God has prevailed and if I surrender myself to that it alters my perspective at least a little bit on that situation Paul says that's what his perspective is now there's more Here's another thing that happens. Our setbacks and our discomforts, they can be a catalyst for strengthening others. So chapter 1, verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Now, wait a minute. How, how, did, how, would, that, how would they be more motivated? Wouldn't they be less motivated? Okay, look, if you go out and fearlessly share the, the message, you, got, got, you might wind up like this guy. I mean, that's what I would think the natural re re response would be. If you have five neighbors and they've all bought hoverboards and three of them have broken their elbows and two of them have broken, and, and one of them set their house on fire, you probably go, yeah, you know what, I'm good. I don't think I need to, like, I think I'll stay away from that activity. Paul goes through this activity and says, as a result of my chains, people have actually been encouraged to share the message. They have been, they've been strengthened. There's a reason for that. And you see, you see this happen. That if, so, if some, you watch somebody and you, you watch how they endure something, the thought goes through our mind. If they are willing to endure that and still hold on to what they believe, I can endure this. Maybe I can hold on and endure that. that historically, that happens. Lech Walesa was imprisoned in Poland. And as a result, the unions got stronger, and then he becomes elected the second president of Poland. Nelson Mandela was imprisoned 27 years for his stand against apartheid. And he becomes the president of the country. An, an anti-apartheid sentiment grows as a result of his suffering because people are energized by it. Malala Yousafzai, I think is how you say her name. She's a 15 years old Pakistani girl shot in the head by the Taliban a few years ago. She wins the Nobel Peace Prize. She survives. 
she's, she's shot because as a Muslim girl, she is not, she, you know, the, no education for females. She gets shot, and as a result of that, tens of thousands of females start going to school at great risk of their life. How does that work? You know what? Something happens when we see somebody who's willing to sacrifice, willing to suffer, and hang on to something that they believe. And you add the power of the Holy Spirit of God into that mix, and that happens routinely. I, I, I was talking to Rocky Rockwell, who you'll meet at the end of the service, president of uh, Fellowship of Evangelical Churches, and he was telling me yesterday about some stuff that goes on that's not in the news that you, you don't hear about, and that is as a result of the work of ISIS persecuting Christians, the fastest growing Christian population in the world right now is in the nation of Iraq. People are coming to faith. Muslims are coming to faith. Christians are being put to death. Muslims are being displaced from their homes, and Muslims are coming to faith. Because they see the suffering of somebody else, something, God does something to show them there's something worth hanging on to. There's something here that gives hope and answers. It's an amazing thing. Listen to this. Those who make the most profound impact on others are often those who have endured the most setbacks and opposition, disappointment. I know somebody from among us who three to four years ago would tell you that they were having serious doubts about the goodness of God, about the power of God because of something that was happening in, in their family. This person would tell you that their faith was eroding and they were frightened by it. They were weakened by it. But that doubt put them in a position as they walked through it. That person today is somebody who is leading other people to know Jesus better. Somebody who's taking a stand for him. Somebody who represents him. Those who make the greatest impact are very often the ones who've had the most reason to doubt or to, or to be disappointed. Now, let me just throw something in here as almost an aside, but I want you to see this in verses 15 to, um, I think, 18. Paul says, now look, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So there's, there's he's, he's referencing people who, 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 who want to picture God as somebody who says, you know what, trust God, and, and he's going to make everything right all the time. He's going to make you happy. He's going to make things good. He's going to bless you all the time. He's going to prosper you. And, you get, and he said, there's a whole lot of people that are doing it out of envy and jealousy. They're trying to draw people away from the, what the true message is because they get more popular. Let's, let's be honest about this. You sell more books, and you get on TV more often, and you make more money when you stand up here and you tell people how you can just have everything you want. I would love to be able to tell you that. I would love to be able to tell you that. And I have a commitment to tell you the truth. And Paul says, look, there are people who do that. And they do it out of envy and jealousy. They do it out of selfish ambition. They want to look good or they want to feel their, they, their worth grows because of it. But look, at even, even the perspective on that, when Paul looks through the lens of Philippians 1.6, God is good, God is in control, God will prevail. Look at what his response to that, even that is. He says, verse 18, but what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. There is a God who even while people do things for wrong motives, if Christ gets preached, he said, you know what? God is good. God's in control. God's going to prevail. I can celebrate that part of it. Even while I contend for the faith, I can, I can still hold on to that. Okay, bring this to where you and I live. I really believe this. God wants to use you. He wants to use me. He doesn't want you just to understand this truth. He wants you to be a, you, you to be a catalyst for strengthening others. And some of the way he's going to do that is he's going to walk you through some really deep waters, some really dark days. He's going to ask you to hold on to him through that so that among the things he will accomplish, where he'll prevail, is that there's going to be somebody you may not even meet, somebody you may not even be aware knows about your situation, and somebody else is going to be strengthened as a result of that. This is 2 Corinthians 1, which is really worth reading the entirety of 2 Corinthians 1. It might, I think in your program we list several verses from 2 Corinthians. Paul, Paul said, look, look at this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Just as the suffering of Christ flow over into our sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're distressed, here look, look at this part. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and your salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. When you endure and hang on to God by faith through the tough things, it means that you have been hand-chosen by God. Hand-chosen by Him. He has a, remember, He is in control of that thing. He has chosen for you to go through that for a very distinct purpose that He will prevail. You're going to see later on, He may not tell you what the purpose is. But you can, if you rest in the fact that you know that's true, it can change your perspective. Are you, how willing are you to say to God, if you want to strengthen me, if you want to strengthen others, by what you ask me to endure, you have my permission. What's the thing that's causing you distress now, discomfort now? Would you be willing to say to God, okay, I trust you with this. If you have something you want to accomplish, even in somebody else's life through this, okay with me would you say that to him Here, here's here's another thing that that our setbacks do our setbacks and discomforts they can deepen our own character and our own resolve and our own perspective and our own effectiveness look at verse 19 you're going to get to a familiar part here i know that through your prayers and the help given by the spirit of jesus christ what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance i eagerly expect and hope that i will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. That's important. Now look at the next verse. Because to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. God has this way of doing stuff. I've never liked it, okay? There's a lot of things about what he does I don't like. And I'm going to have a conversation with him someday face-to-face about this, and I'm sure I'll not win the argument. Like, why did you choose 
that it so often is the case that, that in order to bring out the best in us, you had to wound us so deeply. You had to cut us so much. You had, why would that be the case? I don't know the answer to that, but all I know is he said it's true. And routinely, you look at the word of God and you see the people who have made the impact for God the most are, the pe- are people who he has wounded deeply. They have suffered greatly. And then he uses them. I, I know he accomplishes things for his own glory through that. I know that he, he, he makes us, but he, there's another thing he's doing in us when he does that. He's shaping us and he's forming our character because being emptied of myself and my resources is the means to being filled by God's. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't want my character to be deepened anymore. Okay? I just, I, I don't, oh yeah, I do. I just don't want any pain to be associated with it. I, what I really want, if I'm just entirely honest, I don't, I'm, not worried about, I'm not worried about my character. I just want my plan to happen. I want to get what I want to happen. And God says, yeah, but I purchased your life. It's mine now. And here's what I do with the people I love. I get rid of the, the self-reliance, which is why the whole the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, it is not in the Bible, everybody. It's not in the Bible. When God works, he works with those who can't help themselves. He undoes those that he most wants to use as instruments. Look at Paul. This is, again, 2 Corinthians 1. Here's what Paul says. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we were despair, we, we despaired even of life. We talked about this when we talked about emotions. That word despair, I did a study on it because it was, I thought he can't say he was despairing. That would be so ungodly of the Apostle Paul, wouldn't it? And I, I did a deep study in the Greek of that, and I found out, you know what it means? It means he despaired. He felt hopeless. We despaired. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. And then he says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. You see that line? We might not rely on ourselves. We might not rely on ourselves. God wants you to, he wants to unearth the part in you that relies on yourself. The part that says, I've got an agenda and I can make it happen. He needs to dig that out of us before he can fill us fully for, to accomplish his purposes. He makes us more into his own son's character. And that's why Paul later on in 2 Corinthians right toward the end says, because, so I'll, okay, I'll bring, bring it on because when I'm weak, you know what he says? That's when I'm strong. When I'm weak. The people who most tenaciously trust in God are those who have most seriously wondered if he was even there or where, why he wasn't showing up. And here's the amazing thing. That perspective, that triplet of truth if it's really embraced in my life, in yours, you know what it does? It puts you in a position where it's a, now, you can't lose. It's like the game is rigged. Paul says the game's rigged, see? Because look, look what he says in verse 19. I'm hoping that things are going to turn out for my deliverance. I, I'm eagerly expecting that could happen. But he says, but for me, if I live, well, then I get to be an instrument of Christ. To live is, is, I get opportunity. But if I die, oh, I'm good. I mean, I'm really good. 
Why? Because God is good, God's in control, and God will prevail. So I get to be with him. I get to celebrate with him. And if you don't see that fully, look, keep reading. Look what he says. So if I'm, going, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful, fruitful labor for me. But what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. I mean, no more pain, no more death, no more tears. So, you know, the full celebration, that's a, pretty, that's a good choice. I'll take that. It's better by far, but it's also more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so convinced of this, I know I'll pro- I will remain, and I'll continue with all of you for your progress and, sh- and join the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. All right, so, so here's the thing. Paul's looking at his circumstances. He goes, okay, look, if you, if you put me in chains, I'm just going to preach to people who are here, so I win, because you can't stop me. If you kill me, then, then I get my crowns and eternity starts for me and I'm good, I win. If I stay on earth, I get to be an instrument of the living God and see incredible joy happen as a result of that, I win. I win if I lose, I win if I'm in the middle, I win if I win, I win. If, if I could carry that perspective with me into my workplace or in my neighborhood or in my, my family, it would change everything. It's like, so you can't, you can't make me lose. As a long-suffering sports fan, I don't know what that feeling is. But I can. Because he says it's true for him. It's, okay, for all you Star Wars aficionados, the very first movie, right? Episode 4. And Obi-Wan is going up against Darth Vader. And here's the line. And you can quote it. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, should we get all the geeks? I shall become more powerful than... Oh, see, yeah. More powerful than you could possibly imagine. And the result of that, if you just look at toward the end of this, chap- uh, this chapter, in verse 28, he uses this phrase. He says, so you, so you can contend as one man for the faith, in verse 27, for the gospel, and then he says without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. It's a sign to those who are watching, he says, that Jesus Christ is going to win. Let me just ask you, can you believe that? I mean, let's talk where you live right now. When you go to school tomorrow, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to the hospital, can you believe that? If you, if you and I can choose to embrace it and say, no, I'm not just going to assent to it. I'm going to actually absorb the fact that it's real and it's true. Perhaps we begin to get a little bit of the perspective of joy that Paul can, set, can use when he's in this. Now, I got one more, and I gotta, I'm going to go faster. So here, this, uh, one, one other thing that our setbacks and discomforts can do. They can accomplish something good that God wants to do that he ain't telling He's not telling. Because God is good and God is in control. God will prevail, but he's not in the habit of telling you the whole story before it plays out. Now, well-meaning people use a phrase, and if you've said this, I don't want to be critical, but here's the phrase. We say, well, you know, someday I'll understand. Someday it'll all make sense. Someday God's going to explain what, what this was all about. Can I tell you something? I don't see that in Scripture. Oh, I think sometimes you can. Sometimes in retrospect, you can look back and go, 
it happens a lot. You can look back and go, so, oh, so that happened because that would happen. Oh, very, oh, that well played, God, nicely done. I didn't see that one coming. Nicely done. That happens a lot. But there are sometimes when God doesn't explain. And you know what? He doesn't owe you an explanation. He doesn't. He says, no, I'm the sovereign one. I'm God, you're not. What I'm asking you to do is to trust me. That's what trust is about. It's about what isn't seen. You know that Job was never given an explanation by God about what was going on, never. In fact, when his counselors tried to give him explanations, here's why God's doing this. Here's what, that, God looks back and goes, you guys are idiots. What are you hanging around with these idiots for? Don't try to explain me. Don't try to predict me. And he never actually did. Oh, he blessed him. He prevailed. But he never said, okay, let me explain. The, you know, whole, whole Satan came in and he was accusing you. He never, to our knowledge, he never had that conversation. Parents can get this, right? You can talk to your three-year-old about why certain things you don't allow. You can talk to them until you're blue in the face and you can try to explain it. And they can sit there and go, but I wanna. But I want, I, I want, and you can say, no, no, rational thinking here. Okay, now come on, let's think rationally about this. Okay, if you play with the fire, you will catch the dog on fire. If you do that with the dog, and then the dog, and, and, and then the dog will die, and it wouldn't be a good idea. So let's not catch the dog on fire. And they go, but I wanna. And you go, oh. Okay, which is the greater distance? The distance between the intellect and the capacity to understand between your three-year-old and your 20 or 30 or 40-year-old brain and the difference between your eight-pound brain and the almighty God of the universe and his understanding. Which is the greater difference? Don't take my word from it. That's what Isaiah 55 is saying. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. And here's, remember the whole thing, God will prevail. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God knows what he's trying to do. And often he's not telling. Instead, what he's simply saying to us is, I'm asking you to trust me. Here's my hands. I'm putting my, my hands are on. Would you lay your present situation, your goals, your dreams, your passions, would you lay them in my hands? And would you trust that these things are true? That I am good. Would you trust that? Would you trust that I am in control of this? And, and would you trust that I will prevail with that? If we do that, here's how it'll show up. Look at verse 27. So, see this? Whatever happens, that's an important phrase. Because Paul, when he writes this, does not know. He hopes he's going to get released. It is just as much a possibility that he's going to be, this is the last they're going to hear from him. So he says, whatever happens, God isn't explaining it. I don't know. See, God isn't giving guarantees about specific outcomes. I don't know what's going to happen. But whatever happens, 
Here's what you do. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves worthy. That, that simply, and, and then he, and he'll go on to say, and contend for the faith. What, so you basically, it basically means, look, just follow him. Follow his ways. Go with where he says. Hang on to him. Lean on him. He doesn't ask you to do it with, a, with laughter. It may be difficult, but would you, his hands are out. Do you trust me with this? Will you? And I want to ask you and myself that this morning. Because somehow the secret of contentment's in here. Somehow the joy of walking through a life with an assurance and a confidence is in here. And so for you, you didn't get the job. The one you were sure was the perfect job for you. You didn't get it. Or you lost your job. Or you got pulled over and you got have to spend money that you didn't think you'd have to spend and it just annoyed. Or, or, you, or you got broken up with, with somebody who you really thought was somebody going to be significant in your life. Or you applied for a school and you didn't get accepted to that school or that program. Or you found yourself personally attacked even without justification by somebody. You, you find yourself gossiped about. And people are saying things. Or you lost something. Something really important to you. Or you lost someone really important to you. Or maybe you were betrayed. You've been wronged. Maybe promises were broken to you or deals haven't fell through. And in that moment, the test is given of you and me to say, okay, what do I believe right now? Will I choose to believe in the face of what doesn't feel like it? Will I choose to believe that this is true, that there is a God and that God is good? What he's doing here somehow is good. It's still going to accomplish his purposes. God is in control of this. This has not surprised him. This hasn't snuck up on him. He's not wringing his hands about it. God is in control of this. God is going somewhere with this. God will prevail. If you could know that his hands are open, asking, will you trust me? And would you take that thing and place it into his hands? He does not guarantee a perfect outcome from your perspective. He does not guarantee that what you want to happen will eventually happen, but he guarantees this. He will show himself to be good he will control it, and He will prevail in your life. What is it right now? Right where you are, right where you sit. It's a person, it's a situation, it's a feeling, and you know that God's hands are open to you and asking, will you trust me? What are you going to do with that? Would you place it in His hands? Would you bow with me right now in front of Him? And I want to give you a moment with just quietly where you are. And maybe there's something very much, very specific right now that you just know that you've been wringing your hands over. You've been trying to make it happen. You're fretting about it. You feel victimized by it. You're angry about it, whatever it might be. Will you open your heart? Know that the God who is 
alive and all-powerful is right here in, the, in, you're in his presence. And would you, would you say to him, I'm going to trust you with this. I will go your way. I'm going to conduct myself in a manner worthy of my calling because I trust you. Release it to him. You do that right where you sit. And if the very first thing that needs to happen really is that you don't have a relationship with him yet through his son, you've resisted that or you're not even sure what that means, but, but the first thing that you need to entrust to his open hands is your sin and your hope. And you would declare, I can't pay for my sin, I need you. Even where you sit, you could just, all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord, call on him to be your savior he will do it. You do that right where you are. God, I long to have a perspective like we just saw. That I, the gap between my experiencing the discomfort and my realizing what's true would be narrowed. That I could respond in a way that says, these things are going to work out for your purposes. I trust you. And I'm going to win because you win. Make that true for all of us, please. Find in this room people who our hearts break. The hardness around our hearts cracks and we say, all right, I've been holding back my marriage from you, my job from you, my path from you. Here it is. And do what you want in our lives for your glory and our good. We trust and believe that that's true. Thank you for doing that. In the name of your son. Amen. All right. Let's talk about this week, this week in our groups because there is something that you, we need to talk about. There's something we need to say. What, what is it that we need to put in his hands? In our cell groups this week is a great chance to do that with each other. Encourage each other. Join us for that. Um, got a couple announcements, and I want to introduce a friend to you. Uh, it, by the way, if you did not get, we have a little companion. It actually is a companion document. This is the real one um, on Philippians, which is a little background about the book. We're, we're going through it. We just started last week. Uh, these these are available to you. There's the you know it's just free for everybody, and it's at the welcome counter. You can just get one on your way out. Also, there is a, a letter about our, our finances. If you did not get that, you can take a look at that. You can those on your way out. Two weeks from today, Penny a Meal Day, okay? This is really cool. I can't wait for it. But we, in our partnership with Honduras is, is to reach Honduras. We got a team going out there this summer, and we, we are partnered with a feeding center there. It does this amazing thing where you can feed a meal uh, to a, a, a child, to a family, for, for what really is, amounts to two cents. We have the actual packets of that, of that food that gets shipped there. And... Um, and it's, it's amazing what they do. It's got nutrients in it. It's rice-based. Um, and we did this last year. We're doing it again in two weeks. On that Sunday morning, at the end of the service, we're going to give you a sample of that. Everybody just come in. We're going to give you a sample of what that tastes like. And we're going to encourage you. We're, we're, you know, we don't, when we do offerings here, we, you know, there's a box to, for you to give to God. Beyond what you, in your normal giving to God, um, when you go out that day, there will be a basket, and you'll have a chance. And we're gonna, just going to encourage you to think about this. It, it's, it's not going to fill you, and you may not even like it. Okay, a lot of people didn't like it last year, but 
it'll, it'll give you a first-hand taste of what actually is getting given in the name of Jesus. It's amazing. And then we would encourage you to consider this, that instead of going out to lunch that day, or instead of just skip a meal, ask your family to skip a meal. If health is allows to, to do that, take whatever you would have spent for lunch and just dump it in. The, in and everything that comes in, every cent of it, is going to go to purchase that. So every two cents you give will buy one of those meals to, to uh, feed somebody who wouldn't. And, there, and we just heard, as you might have seen, that there's a, a desperate need for it. The, the need has increased, so it's perfect timing for this. All that happens in two weeks. All right? So Rocky Rockle, Rock, come on down here. Rocky is, uh, is the president of the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches. We have been aligned with uh, FEC since our very inception. They have, they, they were, they, they, it's a coalition of churches uh, that goes, is united about one purpose, and it is to get the gospel out and multiply churches worldwide. And amazing stuff is happening with FEC. Rocky is the president of FEC. He's the one who's telling me stories, headed to, you said, Beirut here in another week to do other stuff. And I just, I asked, I asked him to come and pray. He's visiting today with his wife, Sue, over there. And um, come, say, say hello to these guys. Fant good friend and a fantastic group. And I asked him if he'd pray for us uh, as a body, but also maybe just say a little bit about, say hello or whatever you like, all right? And then after, and after he's done, we're done, all right? Thanks, Tom. Um, a lot of you maybe didn't even know that Life Community was part of an association of churches that are, um, they're together around a common statement of faith, and our goal is to obey the great commandment and fulfill the great commission. In other words, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and our neighbors as ourselves and then to, to share that good news throughout the world. And uh, about five years ago, um, we realigned our vision to, to get a little bit tighter because we realized we're not a huge association, and um, so we want to be very specific in what we do. We believe that we can accomplish those goals best through establishing reproducing churches worldwide. And I believe that life community is just the perfect, example of that. And so we actually use you, even though you don't know that, um, when I get an opportunity to share with other churches, because I, I truly believe, and I think we see even with our political situation going on right now, that our world is changing very, very rapidly, and I believe we're getting closer to end times. I also believe that the last generation before Christ comes back is going to look a whole lot more like the first generation after he left that we heard about this morning and that Paul wrote about than anything has in between. And that means a couple of things. One, the ministry is going to be given back to lay people. And you are the epitome of that. Every one of you is here this morning probably because you're also part of a small group. And that means that the real ministry happens not just in this location on Sunday morning, but throughout the northwest part of Columbus all week long, wherever you live, work, go to school, all of those pieces. So I believe that that's one thing, that, that the, the gospel is going to be given back to to, to the, the lay, laity. It's not just the professionals like, like Tom here. So. Um, but um, we're also going to see people meeting house to house. We're not going to have the opportunity. If the, our government, and I believe at one point we're going to lose tax-exempt um, status, all of those other pieces, we're going to meet house to house, which is exactly what you do. And then the third thing is that we're going to see persecution. And again, that's what Paul epitomized um, in the, the scripture this morning. Um, you mentioned some of what's going on in the Middle East. Um, Sue and I had the opportunity to be in Washington, D.C. just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the head of the Coptic Church 
Um, any of you, you've all seen the, the videos online, I'm sure, of the 35 guys in the orange suits that were on the beach and then they get beheaded. Those were all people that were in his congregation. And he said, because of that video, ISIS put that video online to scare people and he thought it would make people leave Christianity, Christendom. Instead, people said, did you see the way those people died? They believed what they died for. And they said the outpouring because of that, the number of people that have come to faith in Christ is just phenomenal. And so I believe what, what Satan means for harm, what ISIS means for harm, God's going to use for good. Um, I have one commercial I have to throw in here because I, I don't I hate to break it off. I, I mean, I know that we had a wonderful morning here together. But this summer, um, the last weekend of July, we have our annual conference. It's going to be in Fort Wayne, Indiana this year. And you're going to have the opportunity to hear from some people that are, are right where we're talking about, I mean, doing these kinds of things. Um, how, one, how to engage our neighborhoods, which is, again, something I think that you guys are probably on the forefront of. One is how we engage nationals in other countries. It's getting harder and harder to send missionaries to a lot of places in the world. And even the fact that you're sending um, care packages to uh, is Honduras, right? Um, because they can do the job better over there than we can, but we can help them, we can train them, we can give them resources. We'll hear about that. And then the keynote speaker on Friday night is actually a guy that used to be a sniper for Yasser Arafat. And he's going to tell his story, his own personal testimony, but also talk about the outpouring of how Muslims are coming to faith in Christ in unprecedented numbers because of faithfulness of people like you, praying for them, supporting them, and that, that God is, is preparing, I, I believe, for, for the harvest of souls before he comes back. So let me pray for you, and then thank you again just for the privilege of being here this morning, of getting to share this worship time together, to, to see um, the, the body living out um, Scripture. So let us pray. Father, I pray that your hand of blessing would be on the leadership of Life Community Church, every small group leader, every volunteer, every person that, that calls this place home. But Lord, I pray that you would also empower them as they live out their life all week long and as they share the truth of um, the change that you have done in their lives. Lord, we, we know that you are the one that is going to, to bring any response out of that. It's not up to us. We're just asked to be faithful. And so I pray that. I pray for protection in a society that doesn't value a lot of the, the things that you teach and you, you show us in your word. I pray that you'd give strength to each one here to live a life that is exemplary, that people, when they encounter Anyone from this, this body, Lord, would say they're different, and I want what they have. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the truth of your word. And we just pray that you would go with us as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen.